going to journey for a few moments of time in the epistles of the Apostle Paul, and we're going to also read that one passage of Scripture in the book of Revelation. Now, primarily, I'm going to use the Apostle Paul because he was the apostle as known as to the Gentiles. And in his letters, it seems like in almost every letter that he wrote, he addressed a certain thing, a certain thing. And I want to just, we're just going to just kind of follow it. And the only reason, I'm not going to go into all the depth of each individual application. I'm only showing you to create a consensus. I want you to be able to see that this is not a narrow subject. This is not just, you know, addressing one specific locality, one church who may have had an issue that the apostle felt like he would have to write to, to respond to the situation. It was actually something that uh, was affected in every congregation, in every uh, particular city. He's writing, he's teaching them, and so we're going to just kind of let it highlight here in front of us. Now, it's in, we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, certainly Paul is addressing a specific situation, not just to the people in general, to the church in general. This was a very, very specific situation. But let's go further as he went down further in the text. In the ninth verse, now Paul is addressing in about a previous epistle that he had written to the Corinthian church. And I'm going to give you some background, some historical background here in just a little while. So you've got to bear with me today. It's going to be a little bit of a puzzle that gets put together, but it's a very strong exhortation. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. And I'm going to explain to you if you say, Pastor, I'm not familiar with that King James English fornication, what that means. I'll explain that in just a moment. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous. So Paul creates a distinction, correct? In this passage here, he's creating this. He said, I wrote unto you an epistle not to accompany with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or with the idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. Paul said the only way to prevent you from coming in contact with sinful people is to go to heaven. So he's not talking about the world. How many of you know there's a distinction? There's only two types of people on the earth, saved and unsaved, Right? Children of God or children of the world, right? There's only, there's, there is no middle ground. There, you're either, you've either accepted Christ, surrendered your, your life to Christ and being born again and made a new creature in Christ or you're, uh, the, you know, descendant of the sons of Adam and you're doomed and destined, unfortunately, to a devil's hell. But you don't have to go to devil's hell because the cross echoes to us that a way has been made for us. Come on, somebody, amen. Now, 11th verse, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called be a brother, be a fornicator, that is called a brother, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one not to eat. So the apostle here takes it and he says, I'm really talking to the church here and I'm addressing issues in particular. Now, he doesn't really deal with covetousness and he doesn't deal with, he does deal with idolatry later in this particular book. Uh, he doesn't deal with drunkenness in this particular passage, but he really did. The Spirit is saying to the church so that we don't just read it as historical when God is meaning for it to be a revelation to us today. 
So in this passage, he said, I'm speaking to the angel, the messenger, or even the pastor of the church in Thyatira. Write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. He said, I know your works. And so he commends this church. He commends this church because he said, you are faithful in certain areas. He said, you are benevolent. I know your works. I know what you're doing. Perhaps they were working in, the, in a uh, the, uh, orphanage. Maybe they started an orphanage. Maybe they had a food bank, a food ministry. He said, I know your charity, how you're sharing. I know your service. I know that you're doing good things. And you can do good things and still sometimes miss the best thing. Come on, somebody. And so in this, and he said, and I know your faith. It's possible to have authentic faith and still become deceived and then make poor decisions. Let me say it again. It's possible to have authentic faith and then fall into temptation because the Bible warns us about the subtlety of Satan, that he's very subtle, deceptive, and that he can deceive us into believing, just like he did Eve. Remember, Satan deceived Eve to reach out her hand and to take of the forbidden fruit. Something that God had told her that the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But when Satan's subtle deception deception began to weigh upon her mind, she began to see something that was unlawful as lawful. That's the power of seduction. Are y'all hearing me today? So, So it's possible to have faith and still become seduced. And to be seduced, what I mean by being seduced is you, become, you are deceived and you make decisions that you then begin to habitually live a lifestyle that is inconsistent with your profession of faith. So let's go further. He said, I know your works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, he said, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel who calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. Now, I don't believe this is a reproof because there is a woman prophetess or a woman teacher because throughout the scripture, there have been women that have been ordained of God that preached and that prophesied. But here, Jesus uses strong language. Now, the question that we ask ourselves, is he speaking to one woman actually at the church or is he speaking through one woman at the church to a much bigger picture? I, in my personal study, have begun to be awakened to the potential that he was not just speaking to one woman in the church, but he was speaking to something much bigger. And I think we're seeing some of it happen in our culture. And I want to talk to you about it today. Let's go a little further. She calls herself a prophetess. And what does she do? She teaches and she, to, and, and she seduces my servants to do what? Same Greek word. Come on, same Greek word, fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And Jesus said, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Now, this is strong reproof. When this is where I don't know whether this is figurative or literal. I don't know about the reproof, but this is some of the language of the strongest reproof in all the New Testament. Behold, I will cast her into bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. He said, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. I think it was actually figurative in the sense, but it is still, in the context that God is dealing with this church so that he's speaking a word to the pastor to address the issue so that they can deal with the things that are happening within their own local congregation. Now let's go a little bit further. One last passage of scripture before uh, uh, one other additional passage in closing here today. 1 Timothy 4, one last passage. So you can kind of keep that. If you're following in your Bible, you can kind of keep your hand marked there. I'm gonna expound upon these in a few moments. I told you it'd take me a few minutes to set the groundwork, but it's very, very important that I do so. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Once again, the Spirit speaks. 
Come on, church family. The Spirit speaks. He speaks. He speaks expressly that in when? The latter times. Now, the latter times could have been the end of the Roman era. It could have been also the end of Judaism in the first century. I think that part of that was applicable. But it seems to me that the apostle is also writing to times that would precede the return of Christ. That's typically uh, 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 the application of the last days or the latter times. Some shall do what? They're departing from the faith because why? They've been given heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, see, I believe in the spirit world today. I believe that unseen to the natural eye is an entire organization of fallen angels. Some are held captive in chains today, right now, in a place called this present hell. But some are held under the darkness of this world, whereas the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We see Jesus casting out devils. We see Jesus binding the enemy. Jesus even said that you shall trample on serpents and scorpions. So unknown to the natural eye, you can't put a microscope on a demon and find him. But if you have a spiritual eye, Come on, you can discern something's not right. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. What's a doctrine of a devil? It's a teaching that opposes the knowledge of God as revealed in the Word of God. He goes on further, second verse. They will speak lies and hypocrisy. Their conscience will be seared with the hot iron, and they will forbid to marry. And we'll stop right there, and we'll kind of talk about this for just a moment. I just believe two things just very quickly. In a moment, I'm going to share with you why I believe this passage in Revelation 2 to be a part of a much larger picture. I believe there are times that God gives us analogies or metaphors biblically that when we look at them it's a natural example but it holds a spiritual principle when jesus addressed the woman at the church at thyatira he called a name that's familiar to many of us that are familiar with the old testament jezebel we'll address that was jezebel alive at that time no jezebel perished violently i'll highlight that in just a little while she perished violently but the spirits that controlled jezebel Come on, when the, when, the, when the horses trampled her outside of the palace at Jezreel, at Jezreel when, the, when they trampled her, the spirits that controlled her were just loose from her to find someone else to deceive. And so you can't combat demonic spirits in the natural realm. You can't call jihad. You can't wet the sword of, uh, you know, of, of weaponry. You can't have an M16 or an AR-15 and fight the devil. If you're going to fight seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, you've got to have an anointing from God. You have to have a revelation of the Word of God. You have to understand the truth of God. The only thing that causes the devil to flee is the truth of God. He's a liar and the father of all lies and he will get lodged inside of your mind and he will deceive you until you think something is good that God has said is unholy and unrighteous. The only way to combat it is to speak the authoritative word of God. Amen? And so today, just real quickly, I wanted to take you through all these passages in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians and in Thessalonians just to show you that this was not an isolated incident. Paul was addressing the potential for sexual fornication or sexual activity outside of marriage in his day. The reality is, just real quickly, and I'll highlight a little bit more about that in a moment, sexual promiscuity has become the accepted norm in our culture today. 
We're living in the fruit of the, the sexual revolution of the 60s from Woodstock forward. And everything has changed. People's perception of sexual activity has changed today. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And now the norm across our culture is not to wait until you get married to engage sexually your spouse. But it's to practice open sexuality. Are y'all hearing me? Until you finally perhaps decide to get married. And so there's something, something's not right. Something's going on. And see, it's not just affecting the world any longer. The world's always been fornicators. We were fornicators. We were sinners. We were adulterers. But when we got saved, we became new creatures in Christ. Come on, God called us out of darkness, as previously noted, into his marvelous light. We've been expected to walk a distinctly different. If we had read further in 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul addressed the issue of sexuality there, he listed multiple other categories of sexuality, including homosexuality, including adultery, calling them out by name. And he said this, and such were some of you. I'm not speaking from a condescending spirit. I'm not speaking from a hypocritical spirit. We know we all fell prey to seduction, but it was the blood of Jesus and the grace of God that brought us out and made us whole and made us new. And now we want to stand up for what is right, what is good. Come on, somebody. We want a new generation to rise in the church, rise in the earth today that's walking holy and righteous before God, that's making better decisions than even many of us did. Come on now. Now, the reason why, just real quick, let me give you some statistics for just a moment. One of the things that's really happening that we're having a fight, and this, again, I want you to don't, don't, don't throw any stones up here today. Pastor Brown loves every person. I'm not just speaking to this church, but I'm speaking through this church to a much larger issue. But did you know concerning cohabitation, a recent USA Today study, this was posted on Charisma News website this week, a recent study by USA Today, they polled 18 to 31-year-olds regarding living together before marriage, and 76% approved. Said it's all right. It's like, you know, how many of you have seen that commercial about the new car where, you know, when you went and you test drove a car? You know, many of us can remember test driving a new car. And you go and you drive the car for just a, a little while and then you come back and maybe you buy it, maybe you don't go home, you think about it. Well, now some of these car manufacturers are like, take it home. You know, y'all have seen that commercial, you know, y'all have seen that commercial. Like, well, take it home. Next day, still in the car doing a test drive. Well, see, the world's wanting us to test drive something that God wants you to wait <laughs> until a covenant exchange has been made. But the perception, see, the perception has changed. That's what I'm. That's where it's troubling me. Our perception has changed. Why? Because we've given heed to seducing spirits. All right, I'm preaching better than y'all shout. Did you know 65 percent of all altar-bound singles today will live together before marriage? 65%. And so the, here's the problem. And then even in today's church, the church has become uh, almost impotent in addressing it. We're, almost, we're, we're muted. We're muted by the pressures of the age to, to always be welcoming. Listen, we are welcoming. I love people enough to tell them truth. And even though none of my children are here today and they're all in the ages of 18 to 27, if they were, I would speak this truth to them just like I am to you. And I would say, this is what God's word says, and you need to hear it because the world is trying to subject God's word to their own individual desires. And if you're truly a child of God, then if you name the name of Christ, you need to depart from iniquity. 
Listen, something's going on. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with this. Paul wrote to the Gentile churches expressly. Let me tell you why. Because Gentile churches were established in previously Grecian cities that were now Roman colonies. And if you've done any study about ancient cultures, ancient civilizations, they were very sexually promiscuous. And most often their sexual activity involved the worship of an idol, an idolatrous spirit. In this context, let me just put this just for a moment. I read four passages from the book of 1 Corinthians. The reason why perhaps Paul was addressing this issue at Corinth is because at Corinth, in the city of Corinth, listen to this, this is very important, listen to this. In the city of Corinth was an 1,800-foot mountain that from sea level forward that a temple to the Greek goddess Aphrodite had been built on. And there was over 1,000 what they called sanctified prostitutes. And in the worship of Aphrodite, if you wanted to join yourself to that idol, devotion to that idol, and you were a male, you would go down to that temple and you would choose or pay for uh, one of those temple prostitutes and you would find a back room somewhere or an open hillside somewhere and you would engage that prostitute in sec or not, uh, a temple prostitute in sexual activity in order to join unto that idol. That's why when we, if we had read further in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said, if you join to a harlot in that moment, he said, you're joining yourself to something more. It's something bigger. It's part of a much bigger picture. So wherever Paul is writing to these Gentile churches, when they got saved, they weren't like Jews. Jews had the law. Jews understood the principle of the law. God had given them an order of the law, but Gentiles had not. Many of them were idolaters. Paul wrote about this. Many of them had practiced idolatry. Perhaps even many of the recipients of the book of 1 Corinthians had made that journey up the hillside to the temple of Aphrodite and engaged in sexual activity with her. And so this wasn't just happening in one city. This was all over the Roman Empire because Rome had conquered Greece and Greece had filled the world with open sexuality and they had just simply adapted their ways. So it was a real issue. And Paul is addressing it. He said, it's reported commonly that fornication is among you, even to the degree that's even not even named among the Gentiles. He was addressing a very specific situation. And the reality is, church family, listen, the world's out of control. Listen, the world, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? American culture is out of control. I mean, we're living in a pornographic generation. Even the context of pornography, not even the sexual activity. Did you know pornography is one of the leading industries in America today financially? Even a study as late as 2006, so we're talking about 10 years ago. At that time, it was $13 billion industry right here in the United States. Since 2015, there have been over 2 billion hits on the Internet in the United States for pornography. Did you know just for statistics to say, say, for statistics sake, that all pornography is certainly not just men, that one-third of pornographic users today are women? Listen, I'm talking about a, 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 an epidemic that's taking place. Something's going on. Something's at work. Are we, is something happening that's bigger than what we're realizing? Is there, is there a demonic spirit, that an aged, uh, you know, uh, uh, an antiquated person, but a spirit that's still alive today, that's, deal, that's, that's controlling the minds of men and women and tempting even? Here's my grievance. Here's my grievance. Here's my grievance. This grievance right here, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said, it's happening among you. 
Jesus addressed the church at Thyatira and he said, that woman Jezebel is seducing who? My servants. So it's not just happening to people that are in the world. It's not just happening to people that we go to school with or on the job with, but it's men and women that come in the sound of our voice. And it's not just young adults. It can be, are y'all hearing me? It's not just the 18 to 31 year olds. Come on, I'm talking about this spirit targets anybody that will yield to it. And I come to tell you today, we need to lift up our voices. We're going to have to be more courageous in the days ahead. We're going to have to be more courageous in the church to address these cultural issues because that spirit is seducing God's children to commit fornication. While the church plays games, while we try to teach you about how to get a big car and a new job, Listen, I'm concerned about your eternal soul. I'm concerned about whether you're living right before God, whether you're holy before God, and you're who God's called you to be. Whether you have a new job or a big car matters not. You can be poor and still be blessed. Come on. So we got to have a boldness uh, that's brought back to the church. Not condescending, not condemning, not driving people away, but in love preaching the truth. Because only the truth sets people free. We've got to have doctrine that combats the doctrine of devils. Biblical doctrine is the only thing that the devil responds to. So let's go a little bit further. Let me show you something that I saw. I won't stay on this very long at all. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to start to close. But i got to show you this. This is something that I saw this week. Got in my heart. And I began to study it out. And I've got to show you this. Whether I preach short or long, I've got to share this with you real quickly today. Catch that passage in Revelation. That woman Jezebel. Very familiar with that word, Jezebel? Many of you are. Let's go to a passage of Scripture, 1 Kings 16. Let's read this just real quickly. I've got to bring this up to you. I've got to show you something about what was going on in the time of ancient Israel. See, I believe God can take something and teach us something that we will fight against the spirit of the age. I want you to see a passage with me real quickly. 1 Kings 16. Now, real quickly, let me give you a historical lesson. Israel is a term that by the time that's being written about in 1 Kings is not talking about the entirety of the nation. It's talking about the upper 10 tribes. Remember when the tribes of the Lord, those were the tribes of the nation of Israel. The the northern 10 tribes belong to the people called Israel. The bottom two belong to the southern region called Judah. The nation has been divided after Solomon's death. God judged his son because of the hardness of his heart and the, t- and the kingdom was divided. Jeroboam was the first king of Israel. Now there's a change from the sixth king, which is Omri, to the seventh king, which is Ahab. That's what's taking place here in this passage. And in the 30 and the eighth year of Asa, who's king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria, what, 20 and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife. Notice this. He took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians. Now, Zidonians is meaning Sidon. Sidon is just north of the northern border of Israel. It's where modern-day Lebanon is. If you've ever looked on a map and you saw the nation of Israel, you'll see that right above Israel, Jojo mentioned a moment ago, the Syrophoenician woman who came from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. She was dwelling in the area where Jezebel came from, that southern region. Her father was the priest, 
for several years to the king of Sidon, but then he murdered, his name is Ethbel, and he murdered his, his master and took his throne. And for 32 years, he was the priest and the king. It was his daughter. It was a political alliance. Ahab goes up outside the borders of Israel to take a wife. He takes the daughter of Ethbel, which is, again, the king of Zidon. And he went, and what did he do? Because of her influence, he served Baal and worshiped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. We're going to turn over to 1 Kings 21. Last verse that we read today, verse 25. Just to read it, it's important. Look at this real quickly. Same context, 25th verse. There was none like Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the side of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, had stirred up. So what we see taking place, church family, is we see the introduction of an, an, an ancient form of religion called Baal worship. Baal worship was the first challenge for Israel even before they made it into the promised land. How many of you have ever studied the Old Testament and you've read the writings of the law where Moses told Israel, look, you can't live like the Canaanites. Are y'all hearing me? You can't be like the other people because why? He said they have evil practices. They were practicing, they were burning their children in the fire. Molech and Shemosh, pagan ancient gods. They were taking their children that should be dedicated to Jehovah God and live a life of, of, of vitality and service to God. And they were, bear, they were burning them in the fire to a pagan deity. But not only were they doing, they were practicing the deviant sexual practices. Let me tell you about Baal worship that Jezebel, her father, was the priest of. She took that passion for Baal worship and she introduced it. She reintroduced it into Israel. And it became a stumbling block for the nation. It created a contention between the prophets of God and the prophets of Baal. Remember 1 Kings 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Who does he stand against? The prophets of Baal. Here's why Baal worship. Here was why it was so appealing to the people of that generation. Real quickly, listen to me. It's very important that you hear this. He, the, the worship of Baal involved... And so the belief of the Canaanites that had been absorbed by the Phoenician people and the people of Zidon was that whenever they needed rain to come, they would practice illicit sexual activities with temple prostitutes, just like we saw in 1 Corinthians with Aphroditus. They would engage in open sexuality or it would be in a back room somewhere and their goal was to elicit to create arousal for Baal. Baal would look down. He would see this couple coming together in an illicit sexual act. And Baal would get aroused. So then Baal would find his mistress. His mistress was Ashtoreth. And so then Baal would have celestial sex. I told you it's very explicit today. He would have celestial sex and therefore they would reign on the field. It was a wicked, are y'all hearing me today? Listen, this seems something. You said, no, I can't believe it. Listen, that was being practiced on every green hill in every cult. They had ordained priests, 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of the groves. A grove was a, a wooden object made most often in the sign of a male sexual organ to elicit sexual response from the heavenlies. That's what, the, that's what they were dealing with prophetically. Are y'all hearing me today? 
They were dealing with this, and it, it created a great contention. That's why Elijah showed up. And oh, we need the spirit of Elijah today. Elijah shows up, and Elijah comes into Ahab. And, and see, Jezebel has been silencing all the prophets. She's taken and she's begun to kill all the prophets of, of Jehovah God. But Elijah showed up and knocked on the door of Ahab. And he said, Ahab, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how much sex happens on the green field or in the temple of Baal. He said, I'm telling you, God's going to lock up heaven. It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Until you learn that the God of heaven rules. Not Baal, not Asher, not Shemosh, not Molech, not a pagan deity. But you're going to learn there's one God. His name is Yahweh God. Are you hearing me today? And I want you to know we need a strong prophetic voice in America today to address what's taking place in our culture because it is my belief, this is my personal belief, that the spirit of Jezebel is at work again today. And she's teaching our children. She's teaching the children of God. It's okay to satisfy yourself sexually outside of the covenant of marriage. And I'm not very educated, but I came today to tell that spirit in the name of Jesus. I cast you down and I cast you out. Let the children of God live holy. Let us live righteous. God's got a place for us to satisfy our sexuality and it's in the covenant of marriage. Glory to God. But it's going to take a people that are willing to be distinctly different from the culture. It's going to take a people. It's going to take an individual. It's going to take a family that will say, you know what? I'm going to live different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. Listen, for the sake of time, I'm going to start winding down. I may just pick this back up next week. But let me just go a little bit further with you today. I'm grieved in my heart. Not just for people that I know and love, that I fellowship, but I'm grieved for the body as a whole. I'm grieved because people have been seduced by that spirit. Let me show you just real quickly before I close of how these things can work. How You say, Pastor, is there really spirits that, 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 that could continue? Let me give you the demise of Jezebel for just a moment. I'm going to jump ahead real quickly. Jezebel died later under the hands of of the next king of Israel called Jehu. Now you can read it later in First Sam, or excuse me, First Kings twenty-one. You can read the story. He rides up to the palace. Ahab has died in battle. He rides up to the palace. She looks out the window. She has painted her face and she's put her uh, her queenly hair up, and she's defiant to the very end. She's led the nation into spiritual depravity. People have practiced deviant sexual behavior. The people of Israel have lost sight of the one true God. We'll talk more about that next week. The one true God, and they've embraced a God that appeases their flesh. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so when Jehu comes along, he looks up. I see a window back there in the back, and I'll just use that example. He looks up. There are eunuchs in the upper floor of the palace with their second and third floor. He says, he cries out to the eunuchs, and he says, if you're on my side, throw her down. And so the eunuchs then go, and they take the woman that was responsible for leading, for arousing her husband to bring bell worship back to the nation and cause the nation to stumble, and they throw her down, and she perishes. It's violent. I know it's violent. That was a violent culture. But let me say this to you today real quickly. Just real quickly. The church is going to have to get violent again, but we've got to be violent in the spirit. Come on. We've got to have the spirit of Jehu in the church again. 
We got to first have the spirit of Elijah, the willingness to confront, but we got to have the spirit of Jehu that'll speak to the spirit. Because I believe that though Jezebel perished that day, that spirit still existed. Do you remember that pagan deity that I talked about, Ashtoreth, that was involved in Baal worship? Did you know by the time Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians about Epaphroditus, who's that Grecian goddess, that she is that same goddess evolved over just several cultures? The same goddess? So what's that say to me? That says that when Jezebel perished, the spirit continued. That spirit is still alive today. It's seducing God's children. It's at work in our church. It's at work in Heber Springs. It's at work in the church in America. Men and women that we know have faith, that we know love God. We know they have good works and good service like the church at Thyatira, but we've been deceived in our mind and we're selling ourselves out to the weakness of the flesh. And I come along by the love of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you there's a better way. There's a better way. Follow God, His will, His purpose for your life. You can fight against this if you want to, but I want you to know that through the weakness of the flesh comes destruction. But God has a way for us, each one of us, and that is to fulfill His will. If we're married, God will sanctify your marriage. He will. I'm telling you, it can be sanctified and you can be holy and you can still, come on, be sexually active. But it needs to come through the covenant of marriage. I just believe, and for the sake of time, I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to probably pick this subject up one more time next Sunday because I don't think I'm finished. Church family, as a pastor, this is one of the most difficult things that I do. Daryl Joe, on the platform. It's one of the most difficult things that I do because I'm addressing contemporary issues with historical truth, trying to find a way to show you that that is more relevant than even the contemporary issue because that will trump the contemporary issue if we will adhere to it. But at the same time, here's the struggle. Can I be honest with you? Here's the struggle. Churches are afraid to address the issue today. We're afraid because we don't want to be deemed. Are you hearing me? We don't want to be deemed as that old line, condescending, condemning, hellfire and brimstone church. I'm telling the truth. So churches back away from it and we don't address it. Now listen, I'm not following anybody to your house. I'm not going, I'm not, listen, you've got to live your life between God and you. But my job is to teach the truth. He said, I write to the angel, to the messenger, or to the pastor of the church at Thyatira. That Jezebel, she's still at work. Not her personally, the spirit. It's deceiving God's children to commit fornication. Not just the young adult. Are y'all hearing me? It, my private conversations with our staff. I tell them, I said, guys, I can guarantee you that on any Sunday morning, on any Sunday morning, it's not just one, two, or three. There's a multitude of people that are sexually active right here in our church. The problem is they're not grieved. They've fallen into the trap that God's blessing them. Oh, I got a job. God's still, listen, no, no, no. The enemy is seducing you. I'm telling you that the enemy is seducing you. Eve sold herself out for one bite of forbidden fruit. And so did Adam. The enemy is seducing us. 
Jesus was so grieved. He said, that woman Jezebel is seducing my servants. Challenge them, teach them, warn them. I can be honest, I don't like to preach such a, 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 an explicit message like this. I, I don't, but I have to. Come on, is there, if there's any merit to being a pastor, if there's any authentic concern for people, then I have to address these issues. I want to guard our fellowship. I want to help guard your life. I don't want to beat you up. I don't want to condemn anybody here today. But God forbid that I don't warn you. God forbid that I don't tell you the truth. Deal with this. God's made a way for you. God's made a way. It's called marriage. Come on. Come on. God made a way. Find your covenant partner. Find your covenant partner. Then enter into that covenant. Are y'all hearing me today? Don't let the spirit of Jezebel. Don't let the spirit of Jezebel deceive you and your family. You need the spirit of Jehu. You need the spirit of Jehu. You need to break it. You need to break it. You need to break it. I know this is very personal. I told Jojo my private time with him. I said, Joe, I don't know how to close the service. It's not a service where I ask people to come forward. I can't. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching through you. I just want to be a part of the remnant church that is addressing the spirit beyond just our local church. Isn't that right? So I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking through you. I pray God raises up a church with the Jehu spirit that will cast it down. I pray that you set a precedence for your family, your children, and your children's children. I don't know how to, but I just think it would be wrong if we didn't take time to just pray before we go. For people to search their heart and mind, to make good decisions. Come on, let's let the Holy Spirit, won't you just bow your heads in the Lord's presence? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to let what's private be private between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to look at me. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to do that. 